podcast is never late, ladies and gentlemen. It arrives precisely when it means to. Welcome to Fellowship of the Ring Week on We Read the Book. I'm Adam Heap. I'm Lois Mitchell. And we're happy to have podcast regular Joe Suckling back with us. Hi, guys. Woo! Yeah. That was an appointed intro, was it, Adam? That the podcast arrives precisely when it means to? (laughs) No, I I meant exactly what I said, but it's... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you were... Because it's been on time every week for the past zero weeks. (laughs) You weren't... Covering your own ass there. I'm 100% covering my own ass. <laughs> we apologise for the late releases of our podcast. We have busy lives. This this week will be A-OK. Yeah. As Lois has no life. <laughs> I'm on holiday. That's not the same uh, thing. Yeah. For, for two weeks, Lois. I'm on has... holiday and also I don't have a life. So I have heaps of time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our question of the week this week. In the Fellowship of the Ring, Gandalf is saved from Isengard by a giant eagle. If you could be saved from something or at a moment in time, past, present, or future, by being swept away on a giant eagle, what or when would it be? Joe. Well, when I was four, I got attacked by a Rottweiler. It'd be pretty cool to have been saved by a giant eagle at that moment. I want to hear more of this story. Walking near my house. I don't, it was a long time ago. Um, and this lady was walking her dog, and the dog came up to me and was being really aggressive. And she said, Oh, if it smells your hand, it'll think you're friendly. So. I trust adults, so I put my hand out. The dog bit my hand, pushed me to the ground, um, bit my chest, scuffed up my stomach and was about to... Big mistake. Don't trust adults. No. No. Well, I learned that from then on. But how cool would it have been if that moment a giant eagle had come in and then taken the dog off me and then taken me to safety? That'd be pretty bad. That would have been handy. Badass. Yeah. Lois? Okay, well, first of all, the Tolkien nerd in me wants to say that the eagles wouldn't come and save you because they're basically (laughs) gods and they only do favours for Gandalf because Gandalf's also basically a god. But Gandalf also wanted the ring destroyed, Lois. And Gandalf can only ask them very occasionally because they're very prideful. They won't uh, meddle in the affairs of the Middle Earth people because they're That's very very kind of them given they live there. They do, they though, like... (laughs) They won't, the, the War of the Ring won't affect them. I just, as a Tolkien nerd, when people are like, why don't the Eagles just take them to Mount Doom? I'm like, I will kill you. Because then what's the point of the story? That's your damn reason. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> probably cut all that out. Um, it's the official reason. That's cool. Yeah. I wish an eagle would come and swoop me away every time I do that thing where I say, oh, how are you? And they say, good. And you, and you say, good, thanks. And you... <laughs> <laughs> like any of any of those like we've all been there like the waiter says how was your food and you say it was good how was yours <laughs> yeah and just any of those kinds of situations if if i could just put my arms out and eagle just lifts me away from the situation <laughs> that would be amazing i think last year when i, I got on a plane and they're like have a good flight i'm like you too <laughs> to the check-in agent <laughs> Aww. they won't get on the plane <laughs> <laughs> oh it's the worst yeah, uh, if I could be saved by a giant eagle, it would be right now because I don't have another answer to this question. <laughs> Setting the bar low. Okay, so this week we're talking about Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. We are only talking about the first instalments of the Lord of the Rings. So we'll take a vote first up. Uh, this is going to be really interesting to see what we go for. Uh, book or film, Lois? Look, I'm going to go book because it's what got me into the the whole thing. but. That's that's really by a hair. The I think the movie is amazing, but let's go book. Uh, I'm voting this week for the film. It's also just by a hair. I read Lord of the Rings when I was very, very young, and I distinctly remember 
why I read them because my dad promised me five dollars for each of the three installments which I read. <laughs> I think I read half. I, I definitely read all the Fellowship, and then I think I read like ten pages of each of the rest of them, and just said that I'd read them. And he didn't quiz me, so I got fifteen dollars <laughs> out of it. Sucker. <laughs> so you're a thief. I'm gonna tell on you. What would Jesus say? Yeah, exactly. That's all right. He'd all say, right. "Cool, man, you got fifteen bucks. <laughs> High five. High five. <laughs> Sweet." <laughs> Uh, and then you do finger guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with Jesus. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think for me, uh, and I it wasn't that I didn't enjoy them. They were just long when I was like eight yeah. years old. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, but the film, like, I profoundly remember watching those films and just being like overawed by the production quality and how epic a story it was. And I have obviously since gone back and reread the books, but I think the films still hold that special place in for me in terms of when I. Think of Lord of the Rings. I think of the story of the film. Yeah. Uh, so, Joe, you're the tiebreaker. I th- I think it's evident by your answers that you could make an argument either way. Um, they're both amazing in their own right. I'm going book because the book gives you a bit more richness in the backstory and the politics and the history of the context of what's happening that you don't get in the films because there just isn't time. Um, but again, it's it's very close and I think they're both very enjoyable. So we're going to be using the book as our basis for the rest of this podcast then. The question remains, though, is it a good adaptation? Is there Are any of us going to seriously debate that this is probably an excellent, if not one of the best book-to-film adaptations yeah, of all time? I would I would say one of the best of all time yeah yeah when when i like when we conceive this podcast like you think what's some what's the first things you think about when you think book to film successful adaptations you think harry potter although you know there can be some wild differences in those you think lord of the rings yeah Mm. because not only of the success of the book series but of the film series as well and and they don't stray yeah very far at all you know they do make omissions but it's nothing Ununderstandable. You you can see the reason for every omission. You go, oh well, this would have taken another half an hour of the film, and this character never shows up again. Um, when they replace a character with another character, we'll talk about that a bit later. But it's like, well, there's there's reasons in movie making why they need to do that, and so on and so forth. Every choice is really strong, and even some of the choices in this particular film of the trio were made in recognition of the fact that this this was conceived that it was always going to be a trilogy you know to match the books yeah uh so some of the decisions they make specifically in this film mostly towards the very very end were made knowing that there would be more films you know so yeah and how many films get that sort of opportunity or knowledge that this definitely is going to get picked up I mean, Harry Potter, again, the other big one that comes to mind, Had it's hard to say if the first Harry Potter movie had not been successful because the books were huge by the time the first movie came out. But if it hadn't, let's look at an example from more recent times, the Divergent series of books. The fourth one is coming out as a TV movie because they they started bombing. Yeah. I think what Lord of the Rings has, which Harry Potter didn't have, is a director who he's making this project because it's a lifelong dream to make a live action Lord of the Rings trilogy. Whereas Harry Potter had a series of directors, which also like then completely like disjoints the vision. And it wasn't Chris Columbus's lifelong dream to direct Harry Potter. It was just a good career move. You know, I mean, that's being, I mean, maybe slightly cynical, but... And it's not to say those aren't bad movies either. It's just that you can feel they're disjointed and this trilogy is... I mean, it was obviously done as a project in enough time that three three three-hour movies 
and longer if you look at the extended editions, could be filmed within enough time to bring them out one year after another, three years in a row. It's incredible if you think about it, the amount of work that went into them. Yeah, so like you can just really feel that when someone's really, it's it's really a love. So three votes for good adaptation then. Yeah, yeah yes. Yeah, precisely. Um, so I'll do the plot summary this week, I guess. I mean, how do you summarise Lord of the Rings? At the start of the movie, the Ring of Power, which we'll talk about as we go through, it falls to a character called Frodo Baggins and he finds that it's evil that there are servants of the evil lord who it belongs to coming to get him and he has to set out on a quest initially to just get to safety and then um, once he gets there decides to fulfill the whole quest of destroying the ring Um, and that's the basic plot Um, obviously easy right it is more way 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 more complicated than that but that is the basic plot of the book the interesting thing is that obviously it's way more complex but it's it re- goes reasonably close to what a, a standard fantasy. What's the the hero's journey? Yeah, it's right? an archetype. Yep. Yeah, it definitely is. But like, one of the most famous, mm. successful examples of that archetype. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go before we go into the plot. Obviously, we'll go and look at our casting and uh, other things as usual. Big cast for this one, so we'll just go through them and uh, and give as brief notes as we can. Uh, Elijah Wood, Frodo. I had the hots for him when I saw the movie when I was 12, so... Oh, I was Orlando Bloom all the way. Oh, I was Orlando Bloom <laughs> all the way. And now I just I mean, there's no female cast members of the, the, the Fellowship. Yeah, no, no ladies in the Fellowship. Yeah, I mean, this this book... And the Broship the, of the Ring? The book, even more so than the movie, but the book is such a sausage fest. Um, this, this text is a sausage fest, and we can talk a bit later about how they add women in, but... Yeah, I um when I saw the Lord of the Rings movies, I thought Elijah Wood did a perfectly fine job because he's he's fine in the role. Frodo's kind of I guess a little bit the audience surrogate, so he's a kind of bland character because he's the main character and the stuff happens sort of around him. I mean, I don't know if Tolkien would have even been thinking in these terms because he's a kind of modern thinking on writing, but you can kind of put yourself in Frodo's shoes, not the Hobbit's wear shoes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to really show myself up as being a huge nerd in this episode, by the way, Um, because I am. I love Lord of the Rings so much. But I will say that when I saw Martin Freeman's performance in The Hobbit, I was like, oh, this is what was missing in Frodo and Sam's performances in The Lord of the Rings. Hobbits are supposed to be so quintessentially country British folk, and Martin Freeman really exemplified that and and he did it so smoothly that when I watched that it made me think back of like oh actually this both of those characters could have been a lot better I think Sam's a lot better than Frodo it's interesting the way that you phrased it that stuff kind of happens around him because ironically that's part of the reason I don't know how deliberate that is or whatever but part of the reason that Frodo is chosen in the story is because he's so unnoticeable you know yeah it's it the could hob- be a- hobbits fit in and no one take no one takes much notice of them and that's kind of the reason they're, they're like a, a small insignificant person has just as much chance of succeeding in this quest than you know the mightiest of men or whatever um i mean i i think elijah wood is is fine in this. I, I think the the thing that i noticed most especially re-watching this first film just earlier today was the difference in the way he looks in the opening scene to the this last scene in the film, the weariness mm. in him. Like, I mean, at, at the very least, Elijah Wood knows how to make his character appear as though they've gone through a great ordeal. 
And by the end of the third one, I mean, it's almost tiring how exhausted and annoying Frodo is. But then I mean, that's the toll that the ring takes on you. I understand that that's part of the story yeah, and the character. Yeah, and, and he is also like that in the book. All right, um, we'll move along to... <laughs> yeah, we need to do this a bit quicker, sorry. <laughs> no, right. no, that's cool. <laughs> Maybe because we've already briefly talked to him, let's talk about Sam, uh, Sean Astin. I think he's one of my favourite performances in the whole the whole trilogy. I really like him. I think he's perfect. Yeah, I think role. he's a good Sam. Um, I think he's really cute. I like the little moments when they're still in Hobbiton, like when Frodo pushes him to dance with Rosie. I just like like the mo like I think everyone really feels that when he screams at the end of the thing. Um, of course you are. And, like when Frodo oh, says, "I'm yeah. going alone," he's like, "Of course you are." And I'm going with you. Yeah, and everyone's that, like, oh, that no. brings tears to my eyes every time. That that whole scene where he can't swim and Frodo like has to come back for him. Oh yeah, I like Sean Aston. No, I think it's a it's a good performance. We can talk about the changes they made to the character a bit later on. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf. I mean, perfect. There's no other choice. Yeah. There is none. It's the definitive Lord of the Rings performance. Yeah. Like, his, Ian McKellen is, is more well-known as Gandalf than anything else, arguably yeah. Magneto. Yeah. Mm. But but this... I don't I mean, it didn't make him, because I mean, he was already huge, but... I mean, I... Yeah, I find his performance as Magneto so good because I think of the thing they really lean on in the movies about the Holocaust, but... I think this is just a more quintessential character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. Yep, perfect. Has all the authority and... He's scary. Is, is able to do scary and warm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, re- again, re-watching it just this morning, feeling the when Frodo jumps in his carriage and hugs Gandalf as they meet in the opening, it's like you instantly feel that emotional connection. And for an actor to be able to do that, you know, in, make you feel something within the first few minutes of a film is means you've got talent. Yeah. Viggo Mortensen is Aragorn. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe was the was the, the choice oh for this. Oh my god. That would have been awful. Horrible. <laughs> Not off the top of my head. But there are other actors that would have done a fine job of Aragorn. But that said, I think Viggo Mortensen just lived and breathed the character and I think like when you watch interviews with the other actors they're like yeah he is Aragorn I, um, I, th- I think it's good that they picked someone who wasn't like already an established like action movie sort of star yeah. you know what I mean and and he's about he's older as well he's not like they have made some of the other characters younger and you know maybe they needed to do that and because it doesn't show the passage of time in the movie but I'm glad that they picked someone who was in his 40s. I think he's in his 40s in the movie. Yeah, yeah I believe so. Um, because Aragorn is supposed to be, you know, ages old. He's supposed to be nearly mm. 90. Really? Yeah, 70 to 90. I can't remember the exact number. He's supposed to look around 40, but th- he's supposed to be around 90. I think they needed someone believable as sort of 40 in this so that yeah. they could do the action scenes because yeah. they're going to buy a 70. But both right. him and Sean Bean, who's Boromir, they're both older and that really lends itself to the authority that they carry as kings. Well, while we've already mentioned him, Sean Bean is Boromir. Amazing. Perfect. Dies. Dies. Mandatory for a Sean Bean appearance. Dies yeah. so well. Oh, it's it's a... For someone who spends their time on screen being the jerkiest of your group of heroes, he redeems himself in the best fashion possible. Like, it's so heroic and amazing. You do, you do, like regret that he is like that because you're like oh why why are you like this but it's an exemplifier of what the ring does and the power it holds over men even the men who are heroes yeah and also you know we're only talking about the first book today but then what Boromir has done is counterbalanced by the actions and the person that Faramir is I think that's also interesting to think about as well because if you just watch the first movie you'd be like oh that guy was a jerk but (laughs) it's it's 
definitely explored more later. Yeah. Uh, we'll go with the remaining two hobbits, Dominic Monaghan as Merry and Billy Boyd as Pippin. Yeah, I love Billy Boyd. Um, he's so good as Pippin. I think Mary is probably one of the weakest performances, to be honest. Well, he's one of the weakest characters. I, maybe that's not the performance. Maybe that's the writing. There's a few times where uh, Mary gets sidelined so that Frodo can be smart, basically. Yeah, just not the strongest character, but that may not be Dominic Monaghan's fault. In the novels, Mary and Pippin are with... Frodo and Sam from the outset. In the film, they run into uh, Frodo and Sam while they're stealing cabbages from uh, Farmer Maggot. Mary, who I, I would think is portrayed as more of a mature hobbit or character, at least more mature than Pippin, uh, is kind of portrayed as more of a child maybe in the films. Yeah, they're definitely the comic relief in the films. Yeah. And, and the, the, I was surprised reading it because I saw, saw the movies long before read the book. Um, I was really surprised at how like the Merry and Pippin character were actually quite helpful and quite useful and um, quite resilient and all those things. I'm like, oh, okay, they don't come across that at all. They're kind of like the lovable dopey guys that sort of managed to get us through, you know? If I had to pick between the two, I actually prefer uh, Mary, Dominic Monaghan's performance as Mary in this, but maybe it's just because Pippin is an annoying character. Uh, or at least, uh, Yeah, I don't know. Whatever it is, I just prefer Monaghan in this. I think how dumb Pippin is, though, in the first one, like really highlights his journey because he, re- he has that real hero's journey through the three movies. So... I don't actually mind it that much, even though it's really different to the book. I don't mind it that much. Whereas to me, Mary is always kind of roughly the same. Whereas Pippin, you can really see growing up across the movies. Yeah, so. that's a, that's a fair comment, and it, yeah. it, it is. It's hard to do this podcast knowing we're only talking about the first film and book yeah. because Lord of the Rings is one story, you know, yeah, just it's in three actually books. Tolkien hated that it got split into three. Yeah. But you'd never um, be able to read all of it in one go. It's, yeah. It's too much. Well, and they just wouldn't be able to market it as one book. No. Okay. Uh, we'll move along to the remainder of the fellowship. Uh, John Rhys Davies as Gimli, and we'll, we'll put him as a pair Orlando Bloom as Legolas. Yeah. <laughs> Legolas. You don't see as much of it in this first film because they really like build their their broship over the next one more than this. Yeah, but these guys are the best. They're, They're the amazing. Best. Orlando Bloom's acting is very bad in everything. Yes, but um, but he's so beautiful. I, my favorite my favorite thing is there's like posts that go around Tumblr that are like, look at this shot of what Legolas is doing in the background. It's great. And the faces that Orlando Bloom is pulling, it's just amazing. And it's my favorite thing about the movie is just like him looking thought like thoughtful but like in the way that like a 15 year old drama student would do <laughs> pensive and like oh it's just beautiful it's a beautiful thing and i love it um and yeah i was in lo- i was in love with him i was obsessed like my whole room was papered with pictures of orlando blue when mm. i was like 13 like no younger probably 11 to 13 i was obsessed with him but i mean these guys get the funniest dialogue across the, yeah. the, the trilogy yeah, by that, far yeah like even though mary and pippa are comic relief it's Legolas and Gimli who have the best moments and the ones that everyone quotes and remembers. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I love the dwarf elf dynamic and how they sort of overcome that and have it's this Romeo bro- and Juliet. Yeah, and have this romance <laughs> and yeah, live happily well, ever excuse after. Excuse me, Legolas and Aragorn are definitely married. Oh, we're not doing this. <laughs> oh, but um, isn't everyone married to everyone? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, that that rounds out the that rounds out the fellowship. Uh, the other main, I guess, four characters. Uh, Christopher Lee as Saruman. Rest in peace. Mm. Rest in peace. Uh, classical Just, villain. Oh, the most amazing. Like, I think I wrote down in the notes somewhere. As soon as you see like 
Because Saruman is introduced in the film, like, as, as a, uh, in quotes, good guy, uh, who Gandalf goes to see the leadership. I'm like, as soon as you see it's Christopher Lee, did anyone seriously <laughs> think this guy was good? Like, anyone? He uh, only plays villains. Yeah. His voice is iconic as a villain. <laughs> I'll go see the head of my order. He lives in this huge black tower yeah, the from which is, there is no escape. The inside He's is all black. Guy, there are right? lots of pointy bits. Yeah. yeah. The, talking about passion for the project, Christopher Lee read Lord of the Rings every year since he was like, since it came out basically, because he was like the right age when it came out. And when he heard that it was being made into a film, he was like, he wanted to be Gandalf but when he auditioned, they said, well, we, we'd really love you to be Saruman. And Saruman's, I think, quite a much more in the movies than he is in the books. Or at least the, scene, for, yeah. the scenes are bigger than they are in the books. Like, they, they sort of extend them a bit. And obviously, he's just an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hugo Weaving is Elrond. Good choice. Yep. When I think of Hugo Weaving, I think of this and I think of Agent Smith yeah, from Matrix. Yeah. But the trouble is that when I watch Lord of the Rings, I think of Agent Smith as Elrond. See, I don't <laughs> think of Agent Smith. I think of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm not saying that. Oh, you need so, to. I'm like... Elrond in drag. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had that moment with um, Sean Bean this morning. I'm like, it's Ned! <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's joined by Kate Blanchett as an uh, fellow oh. Australian as uh, Galadriel. Oh, queen. My queen. I love her. She's, and fear her. She's amazing. Yeah. The, that voiceover that we start with is just the most incredible way to start the film and she's perfect. So Kate Blanchett is great as Galadriel. Uh, finally, Liv Tyler as Arwen. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah. My dad always comments on this movie whenever we watch this because he's a fan of Lord of the Rings, so whenever we flick it on, he's always like, how did the ugliest man in the world have the most beautiful <laughs> daughter in the world? Yeah. Because <laughs> Steven Tyler is not a handsome man. <laughs> it's fair. It's a fair comment. So Liv Tyler is... Perfect as a, a beautiful Oh elf, my god, you know, she's like, like amazing looking. It's, she would have a glow if they didn't edit it onto yeah. her. I think, and I think Liv Tyler's fine in this. Like, I yeah, think she's, she's good. You know, she's got that elegance and grace about her, which makes her good for the role. But she also uh, has that great like action scene of the, the horse chase, you know? Yeah. Like, so I think it's good. All three of the women characters in, this are, in the three movies are badass, basically. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we have not really mentioned Andy Serkis, who is Gollum, but barely in this film yeah. in terms of a, a physical character. So we'll leave his acting kind of out of this for now. But very briefly, the setting, I mean, New Zealand, amazing, oh. the it's famous for being the home of Lord of the Rings. Like, in the panning shots, still, when I was going back, I'm like, I want to go to New Zealand. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been the same if it had been set anywhere else. Yeah, no, it's the perfect setting. It was a fantastic choice, and it will forever be remembered as the setting for those films. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we should briefly mention the effects of the movie as well. I mean, this was the pioneering moment for a lot of uh, large-scale warfare CGI, like all yeah. the bodies that they introduce in these scenes are incredible. And the, the use of miniatures? Yep. Amazing. Um, I love the I love seeing on the special features the construction of like the castles and things like that. Like I, it's in the second film that I remember it more of Helm's Deep. Yeah. But like the the shots that they did of that and mm. of of Gondor as well, are fantastic. And the perspectives yeah. of the sets to make hobbits look smaller and other characters yeah. look larger. Mm. Amazing. So my my housemate was around while I was watching the movie today, and um, he's like, "Wow, this movie hasn't aged. It's not dated." The only um, time I noted it is where Frodo is unconscious after the Ford, 
and he's imagining Elrond uh, yeah. appear, and that's a bit of a shaky effect, but that was the only five seconds in the film I in think, which I was like, this was not produced today. Yeah, I think in later films there's a few times Gollum looks a bit fake, but most of the effects are practical effects, so they hold up. Yeah, yeah. It's like the original Star Wars movies. It holds up. It's just really good filmmaking. Yeah. And finally, we cannot go to the plot without mentioning the score of this film. Yeah, so Howard, Howard Shaw... Howard Shaw is... Like, when you think of great composers, you know, you think of your John Williams and your Hans Zimmer, like Howard Shaw should be up there without question. Yeah. This is amazing. Every beat of this sc- score It makes is, the film... Yeah. Like, it, it puts that exclamation mark on the film, which puts it into like some of the best of all time conversations. Yeah, that, you know? that E-Day fix for the, for the Hobbits in the flute... Concerning yeah. Hobbits. Concerning the... Hobbits, yeah. I still listen to that. And then that comes in and it's like so playful and then it kind of will, if something bad's happening to them, it'll drift into like your low reeds and brass because it's scary for the Hobbits and oh, it's just such good music making. I yeah. love it. Whenever I start watching this film, the fact that, it, I mean, you've obviously got your prologue and everything, but then as soon as you get into Hobbiton and you, you know, you see Frodo lying on the ground and Fellowship of the Ring comes on the screen and concerning Hobbits, that that song starts to play. I'm, I'm lying back in my chair and I'm like, I'm at home. This is great. That yeah. piece of music is so relaxing and warm and just embodies everything that should be about that place, you know? Yeah. And the fellowship motif as well. Yeah, That's the also other, the other iconic In the brass, one. yeah. yeah. Mm. I think the moment where I noticed that the music was amazing, I mean, obviously it was good, but when I was young, I mean, it's harder to distinguish that sort of thing as important to filmmaking. The third film, when Frodo and Sam are about to climb up the mountain and he's encouraging and, and that version of Concerning Hobbits starts to play as they're climbing up a volcano to do the most difficult thing they've ever done and that's the music they're playing i'm like you have created an excellent piece of art yeah. here like film aside it's amazing um and i think the music it doesn't feel forced or like too obvious like you, it's your suspension of disbelief is still there and the music is still serving the moment but you're kind of still aware that it's beautiful it's pretty amazing so the, the book opens on the prologue uh, concerning hobbits uh, obviously where that piece of music gets its name and it's not I mean it's not part of the story but it's Tolkien's explanation of Hobbit history which I guess gives you good context for and what not why they're unnoticeable but why they're important and kind of why those main characters have that significance later on you know because you never really get to see the perspective from the other side of a, of a Hobbit character I guess yeah it's why they're important but why they've also been forgotten largely the Hobbits themselves have done that on purpose they've created borders and they basically don't leave them the this is again this is different to the opening of the film because the film opens with that as we mentioned that narration by Galadriel of the story of the One Ring, yeah, um, which is important for film viewers, not so much for book readers who have time to digest that over the time that it's revealed to them in. Yeah, I mean, and in the book, like like a whole chapter, hmm. um, oh, thirty pages plus. Yeah, explaining the origin of the ring, and they get that done in five minutes in the movie, yeah. less probably. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they just hit the important beats. They tell you why you should care about this ring and then they move on. I just think that's such masterful storytelling because there are bits in the book where they Tolkien does have to get out a lot of information and Tolkien certainly doesn't feel any pressure to move on. Um, he just dawdles around what he's doing. And personally, I love that because his writing is amazing, but that is what puts a lot of people off reading the books because it's like, just tell me the information. Stop singing songs. Yeah, yeah. There's you a know? lot of songs in Tolkien yeah. which yeah, don't I make it into the film. was not expecting so much singing. 
so the book moves on to Bilbo, straight into Bilbo's party and the preparations for that, basically. Uh, so it's actually more told from Bilbo's perspective. He is essentially the main character for the first 20, 30, 40 pages or so, maybe. Yeah. Uh, they, they go into details about how they're setting it up and everything, and it's a big deal for the rest of the Shire. It's his 111th birthday. 111st. Yes, <laughs> which is great. I mean, obviously it's mentioned that he is so old because of the ring has basically prolonged his life and or, 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 in a way, and it's also made him basically appear as though he hasn't aged as yeah, much. Yeah, so that's not an... It's an old age for a hobbit, but it's not super uncommon. Yeah, no, no, to like he would not, age. he would not guaranteed to have been dead by that point yeah. or anything. But, but it's definitely assisted him in getting. Yeah, there. and he's well, he looks sixty, so yeah. he doesn't look one hundred and eleven in hobbit years. So I mean, Gandalf in in the book here is particularly he's more involved in the party than he is in the the film. Mm, I would argue, yeah, because he's more willing to assist Bilbo in his plan and everything. But then he in the book he leaves. Which he doesn't do in, well, does less in the movie. Yeah. The book, um, so the film opens up with Frodo meeting Gandalf. And so Frodo is your main character right from the get-go uh, in terms of the film. So that's a, another one of the biggest differences. I actually really like that opening scene, as I've already mentioned, where he's in the carriage with Gandalf. They have a good chemistry. Yeah. This might be a problem because I've watched the extended edition so many times. But in the one I watched, there's a just a few moments where it does starts talking about Hobbiton, where Bilbo is writing his book. Yes. Is that yes. just the extended version? Yes, it is just extended yeah. edition, yeah. So, yeah, you, you actually get a little bit more time before you get introduced to Frodo. And they yeah. reference there and back again, which I think is a nice little nod to the yeah. book faithful. I mean, most of you already know this, but the film trilogy of Lord of the Rings came out before The Hobbit. Yeah. In opposition to the book, which it was Hobbit first, although it wasn't a trilogy mm. uh, to Lord of the Rings. Uh, the book, so Bilbo has his party, uh, chucks on his magic ring and disappears. That's his big trick. Yeah. Frodo knows a lot more about it, I think, or he seems a lot more wary of it in the book. The yeah, film. I think he knows it's a magic ring. Whereas I think in the movie it's implied that he basically knows nothing about it. Almost, yeah. Yeah. In the movie, too, you are introduced to Merry and Pippin at the party, whereas they're kind of more just organically introduced in the book as they're helping Frodo pack up. I love yeah. in the film the the dragon fireworks scene. Yeah. That's great, as, as Merry and Pippin steal it and then it flies up. It's a great yeah, effect. It is good. And I really like, like, Gandalf, like, grabs them by the ears and makes them do washing up. Like, <laughs> he really does... At times, treat them like children. Cutest scene in the whole film is when Frodo is on Gandalf's carriage, and all the little children come out to oh. to ask for like because they ex- they expect when they see Gandalf that something cool is going to happen, and he goes past them and pretends that he's not going to do anything, and they're like, oh. And then he lights up the fire. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Hobbit children are so cute. Oh my god, their curly hair oh. and pure little faces. Yeah, um, those are um, Peter Jackson and um, Fran, Peter Jackson's wife, Fran. I can't remember what her last name is, not which Jackson. is bad. It's not Jackson, no. Yeah. That That's their, well, two of them are their children. There was a couple of other crew children as well. Yeah. But the the main couple, the main two that you see are their children. Very cute. They're so cute. So in the in the book, it's it's pretty much the same with Bilbo leaving, but then there's a long period of time where Gandalf, sort of years, where many Gandalf, years. Like yeah. 17 years or something. Yeah, so um, Frodo, Gandalf says, don't 
use the ring, hide it away. I need to go research about it. And then, because Frodo turns 33 when Bilbo turns 111. And then he's 50 so, when he leaves. Yeah, so, which is the same age Bilbo left in the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, even from the get-go, Elijah Wood's a lot younger than 33. But in the book, another 20 years goes past while Gandalf's trying to figure out what's going on with this ring. So, yeah, this is this is one of the things that, like, Frodo's so much younger than he is in the book. Do you find that a problem as someone who really liked the books? No, it's just different. Again, like, Martin Freeman's not 50, but he is... I think He appeared older. Yeah, and I think he's, like, late it, 30s, is he? It, oh, at least. Yeah, if you'd put so, Martin Freeman next to Elijah Wood, yeah. you would have been like, which and one that, is older? You would have known. And that made a difference to the character. Um, yeah, and I think it made a difference maybe to the relationship of the four hobbits. Because in the book, I feel like Frodo has more of, like, a an authority or fatherly sort of figure because he's a little bit older than the other hobbits who are younger. Whereas um, I think in the movie, maybe they're, they're like, it's more of a group of mates yeah. hanging out. And I think it's definitely true between Sam and Frodo because it's sort of explained a bit more in the book that Sam is kind of like a paid staff member of Frodo, not just like, he doesn't just love him unconditionally as a friend. Like he's actually his servant, but like a really good loyal one. But yeah, but and he does love him. It's a and I think that would have been a more automatic thing that you would have seen had Elijah Wood been much older than Sam. Oh, Sean Aston. Sean Aston. If there was that age gap, then you'd be like, oh yeah, one has authority over the other kind mm. of thing. I don't mind them being unconditional friends. I actually kind of like that. Oh, they um, love each other. Yeah, it's great. They're I love their friends. I love their bromance. So uh, Bilbo's off. Frodo inherits the ring, and basically the story at this point um, from from there on out. The scenes with Gan in the, again. I know we're talking a lot about the movie, but the scenes with Gandalf and Bilbo. That scene where he towers over him to try and give it, get him to give up the ring is very memorable. Yeah, and then Gandalf comes back very briefly in the book. So this does happen in the in the movie, but it's like implied it's been months, not years. Yeah. He leaves and he comes back again yeah. and he says, oh, do you still have the ring? Is it safe? And he throws it into the fire. Is it secret? Is it safe? Yeah. He throws it into the fire and then when he pulls it out, initially nothing happens, but then the Morgul language appears on the ring, so they know it's the One Ring. So the One Ring is uh, Sauron's ring of power. So Sauron's the big bad, but kind of more, he's kind of like an omniscient threat i guess like they, they I you mean, really never deal with him in he the has books. no personality yeah or, mm. or character he is just a, a literal embodiment of evil yeah to all effects and purposes yeah and this this ring can control the other rings so there's nine rings went to men three went to elves seven went to dwarves and one went to sauron, one went to sauron. um treat yourself the, <laughs> treat yourself <laughs> um the the elves are too good and pure to be uh, lorded over by Sauron, but they do hide the rings. But the men and dwarf, the dwarf rings were lost, and the men fell to Sauron's evil. So that's the that's kind of in a nutshell. Those goofs, men. <sighs> those, those weak go- men. Those weak men. Women wouldn't have stuffed it up. So yeah, <laughs> women would be like, no, I do what I want, and they realize that this happens the same in the book. They realize that the ring can't stay in the Shire. There's a lot of talk about why um the one other being that knew that bilbo from the shire had the ring is Gollum, and gan part of the reason gandalf has been away so long in the book is that 
he was tracking Gollum and found that he'd been captured by the enemy and so the enemy will have tortured him and will know the name built the name Baggins Shire. and the word Shire so they will find the Shire yeah and obviously part of it is that they would just kill Frodo if they found him and took take the ring and they don't want the ring but also Frodo doesn't want to put the Shire in danger so that's why he leaves with the ring yeah the scene in the movie where after they torch him and immediately following the ring rates are kind of released on their horses from uh, from Mordor is great because I, I just I can picture it in my head like because they're released against the you know the black wall the gate opening and the black walls of Mordor and, yeah. and there's this blue and greenish light projected against it and they just appear so dark and ghostly it's amazing they're, they're yeah. the effects that they do for them are fantastic yeah like appearing dark underneath their hoods and everything yeah they're really intimidating yeah so the the four hobbits in the book set out on a journey so Merry and Pippin I believe are they they're only going with him to a certain point right so and then he's, they're planning on he's the plan that Frodo comes up with in the book is that he will sell Bag End, which is where Bilbo lived and where, where he lives, and he will say that he's going to Buckland, which is a like the other end of the Shire, but he's actually going to go to Bree. Uh, the plan is to go from there to Rivendell. Yeah. For all Mary and Pippin only know that he's going to yeah. uh, Buckland. So they they say they're going to walk there, like for a, for a nice kind of walk. Um <laughs> Hobbits love walking. Yeah, but in the movie, it's just Sam. So Sam knows the real the real deal because he's eavesdropping, and Gandalf catches him and says, and he's like, "Don't turn me into a toad." And Gandalf says, "No, I'll force you to go on this perilous journey instead," yeah. which is awful. <laughs> Poor Sam. But you get the feeling if Sam knew, he would have wanted to go anyway. Yeah. At least in the movie. What do we want to do now? Do we want to talk about what happens in the movie and then go back to what happens in the book? No, or? let's talk about the the because you do approach it naturally at some point in the okay the movie. So in the book in the book story. So yeah. So the hobbits set off over the wilderness. Um, they see elves. Which is that before they get to Buckland though? That's that's after they leave the Shire though, right? No, the, no, they're like in the, between. Yeah, that, oh, okay. the elves are in between. Bag End Bang. and Buckland, okay. and then Tom Bombadil is after Buckland because yes. right. that's the old forest. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of just walking around in this part of the book and getting to know the characters, which is good. And then they get to Buckland via Farmer Maggot's farm. Um, Big and, change. Yeah. So f- and they actually speak to Farmer Maggot. They have dinner with him and then he drives them to the bridge. And in the movie... He, you never see Farmer Maggot. You yeah. see his scythe and hear his dogs. Yeah. Mm. So in the movie, it's just Frodo and Sam that set out and then they are walking through Farmer Maggot's fields and they get run into by Merry and Pippin who are stealing from Farmer Maggot, and um, which is a call to the book because Frodo is scared to see Farmer Maggot because when he was a teenager, he stole from him and Farmer Maggot said he would set his dogs on him if he ever saw him again. Yeah. Um, Cut for time, most of this, the interactions with the Farmer Maggot. Yeah, Yeah. well, this this whole travelling bit, like, you've really just got to get really to... Really abridged, yeah. Because yeah, the story yeah. really gets into it after Rivendell. That's, that's yeah. the big point. Well, they spend days at any given location a lot of the time, or longer, so yeah. you do. You need to just kind of keep on going. Yeah, well, you expect in a book to be with the characters as they journey, so that's fine, but in a movie, you just can't. You In a movie, you expect to just see the way station, so... Uh, so that's different. In the book, they get to Buckland and they've been being pursued by 
Dark Rider, though they they never get. They're as still close. mysteriously described at this point. You yeah, don't know exactly. They never what they get are. as close as they do. Whereas in the basically in the, immediately in the movie. Yeah, mm. in the film you see a shot. Of, well, I'm pretty sure it's of a, like some random hobbit farmer who is approached at his door by yeah. the ringwraith rider, and you've already seen the ringwraith leaving anyway, so you know yeah. what they look like. Um, in the just after they meet Merry and Pippin, they have the um scene on the road where um they scramble to the side of the road. But the ringwraith gets a lot closer than he does in the book. If that spider had been on me like it is in the film, I'd have been like, I'll go with the ringwraith. <laughs> spider's creepy. Death over spiders. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so when they get to Buckland, they get like there in the evening and they they know they basically have to leave first thing in the next morning. In the book, it's basically, it's found out, right, that they should have left two months before before they eventually did, but because Gandalf was elsewhere, his yeah, message so that's did not thing. quite get through to them. Yeah, so that's the thing. Um, they've waited until the end of autumn, so it's practically winter, before they even I mean, leave. So it was the beginning of July when they left or something, and that was... No, because le- they leave after... They were supposed to leave at the beginning of summer, but they leave after Bilbo's birthday. Which is in um, September. September the 13th. So, oh, so I'm thinking of alternate hemisphere. Yeah. Because this was set in, in quotes, England. Oh, yeah, yeah, so... They leave in they leave in like October, yeah, and we find out later that they were supposed to leave, and a message was supposed to get to them, and it didn't. So they leave Fatty Bolger to Amazing. look after the house to pretend that for a little while that Frodo's actually living there, so people don't wonder where he's gone, and to give them a head start kind of idea. Totally omitted from the film. Totally omitted. Yeah. Well, they along don't with, even, along they with don't by the way, the Sackville Bagginses who don't appear in the film. They yeah, they do. The extended. Oh yeah. I Sorry, know. I watched extended too. Oh, I did not. So yeah, and you you. There's a big... I noticed the proud feet are there, but they might take the place of the grumpy looking. Is it? Relatives. Is there not the bit in the regular edition where the Sackville Bagginses are knocking on the door when Gandalf gets there? Oh, it might be, but you don't know who it is. It's never mentioned. It's just a knock on the door. Bilbo. It's blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he sends the moisture. It's the Sackville Baggins. Oh, yeah. if I was, I didn't hear it. Yeah. No, you 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 also see them in the extended edition oh, okay. at the party. But yeah, so in the movie, they go straight from Bag End to Bree. It's like a direct route. Yeah. But in the movie, they go to Buckland and then through from Buckland to get to Bree, they have to go through the Old Forest. Buckland and the Old Forest are completely removed, which is a shame in a sense because a lot happens in the Old Forest, but you can completely see why they remove it. And we're going to talk here about Tom Bombadil, right? Yeah. This is because this is one of the biggest yeah. omissions in the whole thing. And people definitely have opinions on this, right? So I'm, I'm interested to see what you both have to say about it because it, it can be polarizing. Yeah. Well, David, my wonderful partner, um, feels very strongly about there being no Tom Bombadil. I'm obviously not as invested, but over to Lois. <laughs> we should mention before we go before we get that opinion, maybe. So Tom Bombadil is a person. He's the oldest being in Middle Earth. According to he's uh, like Lord of the Rings, almost older than Middle Earth. Yeah, so he's been around long before Sauron. Sauron basically holds no power over him. Uh, he is the one who saves the hobbits from uh, the willow tree in the old forest and basically gets them out of trouble. They are taken to his place. He, it's revealed that when Frodo like gives him the ring, basically that he doesn't turn invisible and that he can he has more power than the ring has over yeah, him. Yeah, because he can he sort of takes it, looks at it, and gives it back, which I thought was really interesting. I yeah. was like, oh, you. So he's not even like tempted by the the power that it has it's basically irrelevant to him yeah he is nature yeah yeah and that that's very strongly and, implied is yeah. that he control he because he he whispers them out of a tree mm. and controls a lot of them and, and we'll save them again later uh, yeah. from the barrow whites so tom but tom bombadil is completely removed 
So they go into the forest, they get caught by a willow who whispers them into sleeping under him and then tries to eat them, basically, under its roots. Trees. And um, That's how they work. <laughs> and Tom Bombadil saves them and they go to his house for a couple of nights and he feeds them and lets them rest and everything. And then they leave again and he's like, don't go anywhere near the barrows, which are um, old graves, basically. Um, you can still see barrows in, in England. In England, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what is by Stonehenge, yeah. is barrows. Um, and there's barrow whites in them. Yeah, yeah. 100% ghosts. So he's like, don't go near the barrows. And so the, the hobbits are like, oh, what are these barrows? Let's go in them. Because <laughs> they're stupid. And um, <laughs> and then he uh, he's told them, if you get into trouble trying to leave the old forest... Just call for me and I'll come. And so at the last minute, Frodo calls for him and he comes and he's like, well, I better lead you right out of the old forest. Otherwise, you're just going to get in trouble again. <laughs> and he takes them out and sends them to Bree. Yeah. What do you think about the removal? I'm not sad that they removed Tom Bombadil. Like, not even in the extended edition. He's not. He's but totally non It would non-fiction. add a whole like 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. It's like it would be a four to five hour movie if you added all of that stuff in. Um, I think it's a shame that the there are no barrows and no barrow whites. Like we don't even see them go past one or even the the forests that they're not they're never really in a forest for any length of time. You get some brief scenes where they're in a bunch of trees and there's some creaking and stuff, but that's kind of I feel like they save this for the ants. Yeah, yeah, for mm. the for the ants forest. Um, yeah, because this is this is foreshadowing for that. Um, they talk about at this point that. People have seen trees walking and whispering and yeah. talking to each other. So, and they're like, they're all like, oh, that's a myth. That doesn't happen. And then later in the books, you find that that does happen. There are ants. Yeah. Um, I that's what I think is a shame. I think it really adds the to the fantasy elements and the the magicalness and the creepiness of the book. The Barrow Whites and that whole sequence is like really good. And so, I would have liked to have that in there somehow in the extended, and that could have been short. It's interesting here, right? So the, in the book, this is the point where Frodo first puts on the ring and realizes that it turns him invisible and everything before it happens in the movie. Yeah. For, uh, Tolkien, uh, Tolkien himself was actually considering removing Tom Bombadil because there's been discussion that this would have been more suited for something like The Hobbit and things like that. But he felt that it, the point that it conveyed, the other things that he did remove from Lord of the Rings meant that he could not remove Tom Bombadil and this section of the story, which is fine. I think it, it, it matches. And, you know, it's something that happens while they're journeying yep so it would have been really boring if it was like and then they walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and walked so it's it's interesting a lot of people don't like that bit of the book they find it really boring and stupid Mm. but then you like you're saying there's a lot of people who are angry that got left out of the movie so and i think it will forever divide opinion but it's just interesting that's what we're here to talk about it's also interesting at this point while frodo is here in tom bombadil's house that he dreams of ganda of of Someone dressed in grey being saved by a giant bird. Yeah. Which we realise later will be Gandalf escaping Isengard via eagle. Yeah. But we don't know if that's happened yet in the book. Yeah. It's, doesn't he know it's Gandalf? Yeah, he might do. I think he does, but he has no context for it, so he just thinks it's a weird dream. Yeah. Okay, that's also very possible. I can't remember, but I think that's the case. Yeah. So after Tom Bombadil departs, uh, the hobbits make it to Bree. Uh, they get to the nearest inn. We meet Balam and Butterbur, who has a great name. Yeah, and he's a really good character in the book. 
Yeah, his part is severely shortened. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, again, it's a character that never shows up again, so why give him a lot of screen time? Yeah. But he's so funny in the book. Yeah. I like the guy who plays him here is pretty good. I like him. Just that line, like, haven't seen him in six months. Yeah. He's he's very English. He's a very English uh, bartender. Yeah. Yeah. Pub pub landlord, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Frodo accidentally slips the ring onto his finger. It's a little different mm. the way that it happens in that he's singing a song in the book as yeah. his Tolkien's uh, want to do. So in the movie, it's Pippin being an idiot that causes him to slip the ring on. Yeah, okay. Whereas in the book, it's Frodo being an idiot right. that causes him to slip, slip the ring this on. This is probably one of the biggest moments in the that was better suited to the book and the film because watching the ring magically make its way onto his finger in the movie is awful it's so bad i disagree the ring wants to be found it's got some bloody amazing physics powers there yeah it's a it it manages in the in the hobbit to leave it leave where Gollum has stashed it it bounces away from where yeah i just find it i just find it the ring can do what it wants basically i just find it awkwardly shot i guess is all yeah i mean it looks in the movie unless you're like really solidly sitting with that idea that the ring can actually do stuff Mm. it does look stupid i guess because i've read the books a lot and like i've read the lore a lot like it doesn't sit weirdly with me because i'm just like well yeah the ring can do that yeah it can it it's not like it can move all the time but it's like it can take opportunities when they occur yeah it's it's got a personality definitely yeah and it's and it's quite scheming yeah it's 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 got the ability to make decisions yeah. Which, like, if you don't kind of sit well with that idea, it's, like, kind of hard to yeah. appreciate that. And look, but... this does not ruin my viewing of the movie. Yeah. You know, I just always, when I get to this thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, look at it magically. Yeah. Follow well, his so, finger around. So in the book, it is, he's playing with the ring in his pocket and he slips and it slips onto his finger. Yeah. I, I guess is... because I read that, I was like, this is so much more believable. Yeah. Than... But, you know, you have to... Rather than flying through the air and Look, landing also in, in Also in this story, a giant eagle saves someone from a tall tower and a giant, like, old dead guy with superpowers is now a fiery eye. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, and trees can walk around and talk to people. Yeah. But the ring thing, that was that was the, really the part that ruined it for you. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> also, there are wizards who can do magic. <laughs> yeah, F minus. <laughs> Strider appears. Mm. Yeah, uh, Strider slash Aragorn. Yeah, uh, he is great. He's watching them from a corner, smoking a pipe, being badass. Very mysterious. And then he grabs Frodo from where Frodo crawls after he puts the ring on and he takes him to his room and he's like, you're an idiot. Yeah. Stop being so noisy. You're stupid and lame and I hate Mr. Underhill. Yeah. Viggo Mortensen's accent isn't so good at the start of this movie. He slips into an American accent a few times. He's got hard R's, but it's fine by the end of the movie and it's fine in the next two so yeah i think um this moment in brie as he takes him out of this room basically aragorn's hiding them out because the ring rates are hot on their trail and the scene in the movie where they're gliding past bum butterbur who's hiding like under his desk or something is a great like camera shot because he's the look of terror on his face and you just, the ring rates are just they literally are they're like gliding they're on those like boards with wheels they're on, on rollerblades yeah <laughs> i would not surprise me if that was what they're yeah, actually yeah, doing yeah probably <laughs> And now that you've said that, I really want to see an image of a ring wraith on rollerblades. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and, and the the juxtaposition of the stabbing 
into the bed. So they go into the room. They There's four of them standing at the four poster beds that you think there's four hobbits in. And then the, the sword's coming down and stabbing directly into the middle of the beds. And then... And Frodo an waking from it's his... Sam, actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. That, that immediately cuts to Sam starting awake. So, and for a second, you think they've been stabbed. Yeah, the dramatic tension in the movie is really well done. Yeah. And I think that's slightly different in the book, but I think it's actually um, something that adds to the story. And then you see uh, Aragorn watching the ring rates and from across the And you can hear the them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Their shrieks are shrieks, a great sound yeah. effect. Uh, they, in the, I think in the movie, they're a bit more... They, they do have a conversation about, like, should we trust this guy? But it's a lot more prevalent in the book. They continue to not trust Aragorn, even though they go with him. They like, have less time to do that, I feel, in the movie. Yeah, you know, you so... You just kind of need to implicitly do that. And it's funny because in the book you also get the... You get the dramatic irony of that Gandalf has said about his friend Aragorn um, because he tracked Gollum with Aragorn. And he even, I think... Oh, my memory's a bit faulty here, but I think he says that he will send Aragorn in his... Maybe he doesn't. I can't remember, but he definitely has told Frodo about Aragorn, but because Butterm and Barleybur... Um, and Butterbur. Sorry. Barleybur and Butterbur refers to him as Strider, the Cobbits just start referring to him as Strider, and Aragorn never corrects them. And so you have this dramatic tension in the book, dramatic irony, where you're like, if Aragorn just said, oh, actually, my name is Aragorn... Then Frodo would know that he was Gandalf's friend, and then that would prove that he was a good guy. But that doesn't happen until they get to Rivendell. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? <laughs> it's interesting the difference between uh, Aragorn in the book and the film, because the film makes him much more reluctant to acknowledge his lineage, I guess. And in the, in the, the book, he's more than happy to, most of the time, afterwards, to acknowledge that he is the heir to Isildur and all that jazz. Yeah. He is, but he's also, he has previously shunned the title. Um, I think the reason they do that in the movie is because they can get across in the book more easily that the reason that he's suddenly okay with it is because of the danger of the ring. And in the movie, it kind of gives him dramatic tension that Mm. that is implicit in the book, but you don't need to weigh on it so much. Whereas if they... It needs him... to. It does need to be a more explicit part of his journey that yeah. he starts off not wanting it, yeah. or, or not actively wanting it, I guess, yeah. and then accepts his role. It just it makes him a better character in the movie to yeah. have him continue to be doubtful rather than have already accepted it. Yeah. Hi guys, uh, this uh, this podcast has turned out to be super long, so we're going to cut it here, and we will see you again next week for part two of Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, We really hope you come back. We're all just going to get straight into the plot next time so there won't be any of that faffing around that we usually do. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 I've written some funny-ish notes in here. I'm looking forward to reading them all out. <laughs> if you like uh, it, then you should put a ring on it. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Is that one of your funny notes? No. <laughs> I improv that.
Annoy me. I am suffering from my hour. I have to do this podcast with both of you. Oh. Was that one of your funny notes? <laughs> You've used that card three times now. It's done. Still funny. <laughs> it is still funny. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>